Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross, and today my guest, she is a Democrat running in Texas's 24th congressional district right outside of Dallas. She's also served 25 years in the U.S. Air Force, retiring as a colonel. Kim Olson, thanks so much for being my guest. It is my pleasure, Justin, and thank you for bringing news to folks on your podcast. That's awesome. Absolutely. Um, now, I, I got to ask, I gotta, first of all, I, I want to get into something, uh, into your background a little bit, okay? Because I know you've got, I think it's 28 years of military and public service experience. Uh, I know you've served in, in Kosovo, obviously led missions in Iraq. Uh, by all accounts, uh, you are a certified badass. But... <laughs> I'm wondering, Kim, do you have, and I want you to be honest with me, any earthly idea how painful bone spurs are? Uh, because the no, president does. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I can't, can't say I've suffered that. Some things have been a pain in the ass for me, but I've never had a bone spur. So. <laughs> what, what's the most painful thing you've, you've had to endure physically? I think it's something called the human heartbreak that is war. You know, war is a very brutal thing that we do to mankind. And I think sometimes the wounds you don't heal for our veterans, the wounds you don't see for our veterans tend to be the most challenging and the most long lasting. So we ask young men and women to do incredible things on behalf of our nation and sometimes those conflict with your conscience, they conflict with your morality but you sworn allegiance to a constitution and you obey the orders of those above you. And so if you are required to destroy things, to kill people, I mean, sometimes that settles in your heart and never really leaves. And so I think that's why to your very first point, Justin, people that are gonna send America's sons and daughters off to war ought to have gone to it first and see what it really takes to do that business. And uh, it's just a shame we don't have a leader that thinks beyond his personal uh, <laughs> his personal self. Let me ask you this. To, to, to that point, I think it's a, it's a good one, right? So I think uh, I was actually a senior in high school in, in 03, right around when we went to uh, uh, Iraq. And I, I, remember, right. I remember back then uh, I went to, I'm from kind of a conservative area, and I, I think I was the only one in, in one of my classes who was just like, wait, you know, like, we're going to go to Iraq. Like, I'm, I'm sure we can destroy it, but can we rebuild it? And, you know, I was, I was a little, you know, senior in high school, I guess, and it's kind of one of those things that, to me, I was always blown away that you had Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, and, of course, tons of, of, of conservatives who didn't seem to have that foresight or, or at least maybe the courage to, to, to think through it that way. Um, I'm, I don't know about you. Like, were you personally uh, opposed to it? Obviously, you went there, but how did you, how did you deal with sort of your own emotions about going to Iraq and serving at the time? I know, obviously, that's part of your duty, but how do you deal with that? Well, I'll, I'll answer that in a general sense. And even though you're a high schooler, Justin, at the time, you know, high schoolers are pretty smart people. You've got to remember the average age of our troops, especially in the Army and the Navy, is 19. So they're right at high school kids. I mean, and so to have a insight into what, what are we going to do? So your, your question can be answered twofold is one, was it the right decision to go to war? And to your point, we, we won the war and I would offer you, we promptly lost the peace. 
which again is I think the harder thing to do and you see that after we've now been there almost 16 years and and we've been in Afghanistan for almost 19 or 18 now so we have a generation of kids who have been born and all they know is that their nation has been at war in the Middle East for the last 18 years mm-hmm. so it shows you just how hard it is the easier part is popping things the harder part is putting it back together and so that's why when we were tempted to lash back at Iran after they shot down that drone, you know, I think wiser heads prevailed and gave counsel to say this is not a country you want to take on. It is not Afghanistan. It is not Iraq. It will do very, a lot of damage to the economy that is now global, whether we like it or not, we have a global economy. So, um, so that's just on the strategic picture. For, for my personal views to your point you again swear an allegiance to the constitution to protect it you you have a choice in uniform you follow the orders or you can get out i mean those are your choices you try to mitigate um, any kind of damage to your troops or to what we call collateral um, damage around when you prosecute wars uh, I was sent to Iraq, unlike Kosovo, to try to rebuild it. So I saw the back end of what war does and then try to put a country back together after that. And it, it is very, very difficult. You're right. And so it's interesting having a perspective from 30,000 feet, which is where I normally prosecute a war, and now seeing the aftermath at, at three feet. And if everybody went to war at three feet, we wouldn't be so quick to get into it. And I think that ties a bow around why we need more folks that have gone to combat and served in uniform and have done what they've been ordered to do to sit in places where these decisions get made. And so I think it's imperative we put combat vets and diversity around these political tables because maybe we'll get better decisions when it comes to sending troops overseas and what kind of countries we get involved in. Absolutely. Um, do you do you think that we may go to war with Iran soon? I hope not. Yeah. Yeah, my, look, here's how it works. The, the, the United States of America has three instruments of political power. You have the economic instrument, you have a diplomatic instrument, and then you have a military instrument. And I always think the military instrument of power should be one of the last resources you use. And so use the economics to best leverage it. And we chose not to do that. We loaded them up with sanctions. And if you think for a New York minute the leaders within Iran are suffering because the U.S. gives them sanctions, no. It's just the normal, everyday working people that will suffer. We decided, from a diplomatic point of view, to pull out of a treaty negotiated not just by the United States, but all those countries that live in that region in and around Iraq. And now we have no diplomatic leverage with them. So what you're teeing up now is that the last resort then the only leverage we have left that we can use, and we're the mightiest in the world, we are, the United States military, is to leverage them force. Right. And so it never, given our last two involvement in the Middle East, I'm not sure that's the wisest place to go, but we've teed ourselves up for that because we did economic sanctions, because we pulled out of the nuclear right. treaty, and now we have little leverage in that country. And... If, if we don't have a say in that part of the world, other superpowers will, like China and Russia, who are already there. Right. So right. it is not in our best interest to allow 
other countries to influence a country that in the Strait to Hormuz, you know, when they move the tankers in and out, mm-hmm. that's a fifth of the world's oil reserve. And even though the U.S. can fuel our own oil uh, demands, the rest of the world cannot, especially Europe and, of course, our number three trading partner, which is Japan, gets 85% of its oil from there. Mm-hmm. So, again, if, if we get in a war and they shut down those oil fields and the ability to transfer oil through there, it, it's going to have a global impact on the economy. Today's podcast is brought to you by a Democratic firecracker, Tim Ryan. While he may look like he's constantly fighting off acid reflux, he's really just straining to find ways to improve the lives of everyday Americans. Also, there might be a little reflux in there. One can't be sure, but mostly it's just the bubbling acid of American freedom. Tim Ryan. Uh, I want to move to a, a slightly more serious subject, which is your campaign announcement video. Uh, it went viral, as you know. Uh, and, I did. And, but I got to ask, first of all, uh, I mean, you're walking and talking to the camera for <laughs> over three minutes. I, I got to yeah. ask, like, what's, what's your cardio routine like? Because <laughs> I get winded just sitting in a chair and doing an interview for 25 minutes. So, Well, and I'll tell you, not, not to brag, but it took us about 10 takes. And, of course, you, you walk it, right? Yeah. And then you'd have to go back and start over. And so, <laughs> um, and of course, I'm wearing a jacket, so I was, like, soaking wet. I mean, I was just absolutely pouring with sweat. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting how inspired you get when you're really trying to deliver a message. And so a part of that walk and talk was to show that I am – committed and I am driven to help this country and that I really want to serve people. And, you know, sometimes when you're just fired up, you you find that inner strength to, to deliver, you know, that message. But the best thing about it wasn't me delivering the message. It was those 1.8, you know, 4, 1.84 million people who saw it and were inspired by it. That's, the story is that people saw it and said, oh my gosh, you make me want to get up and clean my room or, oh my gosh, I'm going to get up and help my local candidate or, oh my gosh, I'm going to, you know, reach out to someone and and have an interview with her. I mean, that's the beauty of, you know, our social platforms today. And that's the beauty of having a message that resonated with people. And that's what I'm really honored about that that my message and my persona and my experience and what I would like to bring to the table to help us, people said yes to. They did. And and that's a good sign that, that someone who can be inclusive and collaborative and have a, have a service as their core value resonates today with people versus someone who's divisive and hateful and blames those people when things aren't going well in your life. And so that's what should give us great hope is because messages that are strong and and inclusive do resonate still in our country absolutely i I mean and i'll just i'll just throw this out there every morning maybe not every morning but every other morning i wake up i watch that video and then i (laughs) i splash cold water and i slap myself on the face like six times and i say all right it's it's go time um (laughs) 
And, Very uh, good. and then I get into my Jeep Very good. and I drive to work. <laughs> Very good job. Um, Very no, good it job. is. It, it was truly inspiring. Where did you guys come up? Like, was that part of? Where did that idea originate from? And, and how did it go viral? Like, how did? Do you know? Like, initially, sort of, did, did it catch fire? Like, within the first twenty-four hours? Like, how? What happened? How did that work? Well, so you you know you do your video, and and it was interesting because you write a script for it, right? You have a message you want to give, and the message has to fit the person delivering it, right? So you match the message to my personality and my my resume, basically, because it was it wasn't a issues video; it was an introduction video to me and what I stood for and what my history was about and what I had done in this life. That's that was the purpose of it. People were like, "Well, what are your issues? Where do you stand?" That wasn't the objective of the video. The objective was to introduce myself to a public that that really didn't know me. So. It, there were two challenges. One is when you've had a, a life and you've had an entire career and you have a lot of experience on your belt, how do you distill that down into a two to three minute video? I and mean, it's kind of hard. So that was the first challenge for us. So we, we got it narrowed down and then the filming of it. And I remember when we did the very first practice walk with the creator, and there were six people around me. So there was the camera guy, a boom guy, a lighting guy. There was a, a makeup girl to get all the sweat off me. There was the man watching it on the monitor. So, and they were all walking backwards. So you talk about me, but they all pushed backwards. But um, they wanted to do cutaways, meaning you would be talking and a picture would own the screen. And I, I remember saying to Mike as we finished the first practice round and turned and looked down that long runway and I said to him, do you see the pictures coming in beside me where I just stay on the camera the whole time? Because I had it in my head. I have a sort of photographic like memory. I see things in the world and, you know, like movies and photographs. And to his credit, the creator goes, oh my gosh, I see it. And so mm -hmm. it was really fascinating where the two of our minds kind of click and then he was the one that brought in all the extra stuff on the sides. Yeah. So once it got set and, and, you know, you run it through its draft and, and you make sure, because you had to do it in one take. Right. And that was the key to make it, because they didn't want to cut away. So that was, that was challenging. And then you had like five more scenes you had to do after the fact. So we were, it was all day. It was a, about a 12 hour shoot. Now I know, now I have great respect for actors and actresses. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and we had to move around our district, you know, and film yeah. places in our district. But they did a fabulous job. Yeah, with the draft and everything. And then they sent it to me and I just, I just put it on the big screen and I just sat there with it and I thought, okay, I think this is it. I mean, in my, in my, and here's why, Justin, it's because it's just from my traveling around the state when I ran for my ag commissioner and visited thousands of people in this state in 2018, in my gut, I knew they wanted someone, a leader that would inspire them. And that was sort of my stump when I was, you know, um, campaigning in 18 that that's what a crowd would react to I mean you can't open up Twitter today without just cringing for all the negative stuff that's going on and so to deliver another oh the world is bad I think it wears people out and so when it was I think inspirational when it was kind of fiery here was a woman who'd been a trailblazer and it's like and I'm still going to do it you know that it gives like I said it gives people hope and not just hope, but fires them up for them to do something in their own respective words. Absolutely. So to say, yeah, to say that I know it, I knew it was a message that was going to go. I knew that. 
And then when it started, it got up on Twitter and a couple of really high powered people retweeted it who had, you know, like millions of followers. We knew it and we watched it all day long. I mean, it just exploded. We could hardly keep up with, with watching it. And when it went over a million, I was like, oh my gosh. And then, you know, the team calls up and they're like, I go, is this, is this like viral? And the guy goes, wait, you're going to, you're going to push almost to 2 million here. And we did. Yeah. And the other thing is it was like the first video of the cycle of, of the 2020 cycle that kind of jump started. It was the first one. It was a different message. It was new. You know, I was new on a national stage. And the cool thing is, is and then I'll be still here is we ended up with getting donations from every state in the union, which was, I thought was kind of cool. That's and amazing. they were just, you know, 25 bucks, 30 bucks. It was just average, you know, people who to your point were fired up by it and said, by golly, I'm going to get behind this person because this is the kind of leader I want. So that was, I think, fabulous. And number two, for our great state, you know, Texas spent almost $200 million outside of our state supporting other candidates. And so for the first time in election year, I think we're going to have people donating into us because they know how strategically significant Texas is for the 2020 election. It, it, that really, it, it really is like mind-blowing how, how something can, can go viral. And obviously, it seems like you guys... That obviously wasn't your intention. Your intention was to just make a powerful video, and you accomplished right. that in spades. Right. But, um, I mean, has Matthew McConaughey reached out to you yet? Because I think you may be, you may have topped him when it comes to on-camera performances uh, from people out of the state <laughs> of Texas right there. I mean, that was... Like. Thank you. Yeah, and you bring up a really good point because not only was it the you know the photographs and the story, it, it was also how it got delivered. I think that was there, that was pretty impressive. You yeah. know, to your point that oh my god, you walked and talked and and you know, and I'm doing hand gestures and I'm trying to make my points and you know, it took me a couple takes, but yeah, it was actual in the delivery and and, and I think it's very powerful. In a, in a day and age, Justin, where people evade the realities of who they are, they blame it on somebody else, that someone can look at you in the camera and tell you exactly who they are and what they think and what they're going to do and what their experiences are and be unapologetic about it. I, I think we're clamoring for that in today's leaders. So, so there's nothing wrong with it. I'm thinking, go for it. Absolutely. <laughs> no, and, and, and like you said, it wasn't about the. It wasn't about like what policy issues do you stand for at that moment. It's about delivering mm-hmm. something that's inspiring. But I do want to ask you about that because, uh, you sure. know, on your website you talk about like you're you want to fix Congress and you know you fix things. But how do you fix something like the Titanic? You know what I mean? Like this is. I feel like <laughs> yeah. Congress is. And and I don't mean that. Just I guess. You know, you hear people a lot of times be like, "Well, we got to, we got to world peace. We've got to get world peace. We've got to, you know, save the planet. We need to end homelessness." Like, these are things that are huge, huge, huge issues that, frankly, I don't, I don't know if we will ever accomplish like fully. Right? They're always being perfected, or they're like we can always make progress. But um, right. I guess how do you how do you try to tackle? I mean, just today, you, you've got Liz Cheney. You've got you know, different folks in the Republican Party doubling down on Trump's racist tweets. Like, you know, you've got a lot of Republicans who won't just call it what it is and, and call it racist. And, and, you know, it's like, how do you try to change something that doesn't seem to ever want to change in any way and, and seems beholden right now to a president who uh, seems to just, you know, own them? 
you know, and that in lies your challenge. And that's, that's, I mean, that's a very, very uh, good point and very insightful on your part. And you could stand back and say, oh my gosh, it'll never be well enough. And it's it, to his point about, you know, love it or leave it kind of thing. And what I would offer to you is I, I would change that quote and say, because I love it, it being our country, um, I want to fix it. Right. And so to your point about, okay, so what does fixing it look like? Well, first of all, you have, to, you have to stop the backslide, and you have to put a light on what's going on. One of the reasons, if you go back to 1933, students of history, and you thought, how did a reasonable country like Germany end up where it did in 1944? And it's because it was these little things that he did that began to then tip the country towards, you know, the country that we got in which millions of people were systematically exterminated and so you have to you have to bring light to that so going down and visiting the kids in the cages having a different view because if you took the republicans view of the migrants down there or the immigrants or folks that are uh, seeking asylum you you think all was well but when another set of eyes and especially eyes that are diverse look at it they see it in a different light you know so i think that's the first thing is shining lights on this stuff and getting things out in the open is absolutely critical. And with social media today, it is very difficult to hide things like you could have in the 30s. So that we've got going for us. Number two is we have record number of women, women of color and diversity. And by diversity, I mean socioeconomic, religion, you know, all the things that make us America who she is running for office. And so that means that we will have diversity sitting around those power political tables, which can bring better voices and better representation to those tables. And so that, that's the second thing. And then the third is, you know, in order to get things done in Congress, we have systems in place and we can blow it up if we want to. But the better way is if you don't like the laws, then we change them. You know, we've had a lot of laws in this nation that were absolutely, you know, we look back at them now in the 21st century and go, well, were we insane? But those were laws in the day. You yeah. could be arrested. You could be put to death. I mean, so if, if laws are made by man and they can be fixed by women. <laughs> so, so that's how you do it. If you don't, you know. And so my, my point being is then you get on, when you go to Congress, you get on those committees of which your representatives sent you to and said, look, we sent you to Congress to do this. This is, this is what representative government is all about. This is the piece I think Republicans have forgotten, that they are supposed to represent all the people in their districts, not just a select few that you happen to agree with. So that's the other thing. And then you got to stay in power. I mean... Part of our trouble right now is because we have a split house. The, yeah. the House we have, the Senate we do not. So any good work we would do in the House gets killed in the Senate by folks that have been there for 40 years. Think about that. Yeah. 40 years. Yeah. The woman running against him, right, was, was like born when he went into into the house. I mean, it right. is time for you to go. It is a different right. America than the one you entered in 1950 or whatever you came into power. Right. So that's why diversity in age is also important and mm -hmm. in bringing different leaders for the time. And this, this crap of, like the soccer gal said, make America great from what time? You know, in the 1930s, you could be 
you know, put in jail if you were gay. In the 1940s, you couldn't, you know, women couldn't do anything getting out of the house until we went to war. In the 1950s, you couldn't live in different parts. If your skin color, you practiced a different religion. In the 60s, you couldn't sit in a bus. You know, when was it great for those folks? Right. In the 70s, we finally got it so that my mom could buy a house without her dad or brother's permission. I mean, so I don't know when you think it was, you know, America's an incredible nation and I wore a uniform to defend her. But it was only great for those in power. And that's the biggest thing, Justin, is you, you got to put people who are in power in check because with great power comes great responsibility. And that's, I think, the part that bothers people so much about your, our president and the Republican Party is you have abrogated your responsibility as one of the legislative branches of government to hold the executive branch in check and accountable. Right, right. And that's their fa- that will be their failing, I believe, as a party. It will. Well, and, and you hit it. Uh, you you made a great point within that too, which is that questioning power uh, and being skeptical, I feel like is one of the most patriotic things you can do. You know, without right. cynicism. I mean, you know, it's it's I I fight my own cynicism. Uh, you know, and at the same time, I think that it's extremely important to be able to you know make progress, right? And and I think that's. That's the idea. I mean, you, you went through the history of like the different decades and who America wasn't great for. And, it, you know, it's this continuum of trying to make progress. And, you know, when we take steps back, when we pull out of the Paris Climate Accord, we, we had made a huge step there. We had made a huge step with Iran and we're, we're seeing ourselves pull back. And so uh, hopefully you win and hopefully uh, you're able to, to course correct some of that and, and then go from there and, and continue to make it better. is brought to you by Joe Biden's revolutionary new health care plan, Jobamacare. Jobamacare, it's different, we swear. Take our word for it and don't compare. Jobamacare, treat those shingles with our catchy jingles. Well, I was just going to say that I-, I was in D.C. last two months ago and came across a young freshman from the other side of the aisle, a Republican up here in North Texas. And he said to me, he goes, I just can't wait for you to get up here. I just can't wait for us to work together. Yeah. And I thought to myself, you know, because those that have been there 40 and 50 years, they get their power by the dysfunctionality of it. Right. I mean, think about it. Right. And so he said, there are people who've been here for 40 years that hate each other and they'll never work together. Even though it costs our country, they will never work together because their power structure is based on this adversarial relationship. So that you got to change and show that you can have partners across the aisle, that you can work with different branches of government for the greater good of the country, not your personal career. And that's what's kind of interesting about all these folks that are running. None of us are, none of us are politicians, and none of us are are career people. We're just we're called to stand up and try to represent, you know, those that that are going to vote us into office. And, and I think that's I think that's fabulous, and it's good that your generation is stepping up. We have to have you. You're the bench strength. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, hosting podcasts is pretty much saving the world here. So, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no, it is because no, you give voices, 
And, you know, the media is just as important as the military. You know, the media is what allowed, and those that, you know, put voices out there, the First Amendment is there for a reason, and we can't, just because you dissent doesn't mean you're not patriotic. And so you're absolutely right. And so we have to have you. And, mm-hmm. and the day we don't, the day we're going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. So I applaud anybody that works in the media, anybody that puts out, you know, opinions across the spectrum. We, we have to have that in this country. Yeah, yeah, I think dialogue and, so and, thank you. and participation, well, <laughs> that's, that's very humbling, but, but I appreciate that. Um, let me, a few, cu- few other questions. I got to uh, get to a Texas lightning round and ask you about your favorite Texas things that are, that are out there. So, okay. Uh, but I, as far as just being on the campaign trail, I know, um, you know, you've, you've been on the camp, you were agri- agriculture secretary in, in, in Texas. Correct. Is that right? Yeah. And you correct. were out, yeah. um, I read that you were passing out seeds on the campaign trail. Is that correct? Uh, for yeah, seed packets. Yeah. So, so <laughs> what are you doing this time? Are you passing out bomber jackets? Like what? Because those can get expensive. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Little wings. I'll pass out little wings. No, I actually, actually, you know, I have seed packets again. So even though I'm running in a, a very um, urban setting, urban suburban setting, you know, bees still need flowers to exist and, and pollinators still need to exist. And it's interesting when you hand somebody a seed packet, it automatically makes them smile. Yeah. So part of the objective is being able to hand something that makes them feel good. And two, it's a it's an awesome calling card. I've, I've gotten more compliments. And here's the best part is you say to people, look, I'm planting seeds literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because now it's spring, you know, or late spring in Texas when I was back out on the trail mm-hmm. and people are saying to me, oh my gosh, your seeds are growing. I have wildflowers <laughs> in, in my yard right now. And so it's like, so see, you can have incredible lasting impact as you, as you run on the campaign trail that, that make people still, that not make, that um, help people to stay inspired and stay in politics. Because, you know, we won a lot in Texas, but we also lost. I mean, the guy that was the rock star, Beto, you know, he lost by three points. As hard as we worked, as much as we surged, as much money that came into our state, he still fell short against the guy and not a lot of people liked. Right. And so you mm-hmm. got to keep the electorate and those activists and those hardworking I call them women and men in comfortable shoes, you know, fired up. So I think a a politician or somebody who's running as a candidate ought to give people something that that helps them stay engaged and help them stay fired up. If you get to Congress and you can champion one issue. Win? Win. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's right. So when you get to Congress, you get, if you can champion one issue, right? You know, like Ted Kennedy was known for his championing educational uh, causes. What's the yeah. one issue you would stand for? Like over, you know, what, what's that one thing that you want to be known for? If, if I'm sure a lot of things, but what's the one thing? Yeah, there's a lot. You know, I'm a multifaceted woman. I know. I'll tell you one from I'll tell you one from a from a personal point of view, and because you would be sending a veteran, a female vet. And there are only two in Congress right now, and Texas has the largest population of vets, both male and female, that I would, I would advocate for, you know, ending these perpetual wars. And, and to peel that onion back a little bit, 
number one, it would change our status in the world to begin to re-engage from an economic and diplomatic point of view. That would be number one, because right now half the, you know, half, we have an acting UN, we have an acting, you know, ambassadors all over the place. We have lost our position on a global stage as, you know, the adult in the room sometimes. So that that's number one. Number two is perpetual wars, um, are very costly, $4 trillion so far, and 7,500 men and women who gave up their collective futures for ours, and 50,000 injured with families, you know, um, living with those consequences. And so by pulling back and only going to war within its strategic, it makes the nation re-examine itself versus staying embroiled in these things for decades at a time. So there's a, a finance, there's a financial cost to our country, and then there's a human cost to our country, and then there is a leadership cost. So it's sort of this triangle of three things. I and I think when you have that experience on both sides of the spectrum, making peace and making war, that you have, then you are, a, you can be a very strong advocate because you speak from a position of firsthand experience, and you can address that um, without being seen as, you know anti-war or anti-military or anti you know whatever right. and so i think you should leverage that that's part of i think your responsibility by having this experience behind you it's a great answer um, especially having a, well and the last thing especially especially as a woman you know and and a retired colonel because you know i i've earned my chops i mean i've earned every wrinkle and gray hair on me and and today i'll speak as a mom because i have a to the same conflict zone that I served in almost 20 years ago. Wow. And that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should be better than that as a country. Right. You just, yeah. So that's, that's, yeah, that's, and so nobody can say to me that I, that I don't have skin in this game. I do. I, I got a son. So. Um, and, and um, hats off to him as well. Um, podcast is brought to you by Lester Holt's hairline, receding since 1994. Hashtag seven head. Um, all right. So, so Texas lightning round. Um, and by the way, I appreciate okay. uh, you're, you're okay on time and everything right now. I, I know we're running a yeah. little past. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, I'll make sure to wrap up soon here. But thank you so much for this has been awesome. Um, all right, your favorite Texas bar slash restaurant? <laughs> I like what's it's called the Ginger Man, and it's a bar that has lots of beers, different kinds of beers. So mm-hmm. I like beer. Where I like beer too. So where is this? Where because I actually have family in Austin. So my brother, and my dad are in Austin. Like where where is uh, the Ginger Man at? Well, there's three of them. There's one in Fort Worth. There's one up here in, in North uh, North Texas, or on my side, in the Northeast County area. I think there's like three of them. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Um, favorite Texas band slash musician? So I like Kelly Clarkson. She comes out of, uh, she yields out of the Dallas uh, Dallas area. I, I like her music. I think she's, a, she's kind of a musical badass. I like her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Favorite Texas politician? And you can say George W. Bush. It's okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I, I lo- and it's funny because people compare me to her, which just always honors me, is, is Ann Richards. Yeah. I think a woman who 
you know, took Texas by the horns, and yeah. no pun intended, and wrestled her to the ground and, and showed a woman could do it, in, you know, in a time where uh, maybe not. So we could use some more powerhouse texas women out there i think especially in congress she she, she was i I remember seeing her when i was you know middle school high school area i mean she was she was awesome she was funny as hell um two more uh favorite texas sports team well i'm over here by the rangers i i like them i go to their games and i I think they're a cool team so i I like the rangers well i'm an a's fan so uh you know (laughs) Uh, okay last question for you i'm coming to if i'm coming to texas right uh and i yeah okay i'm, I'm gonna stop by austin i'm gonna see some family where do i go though for like a maybe a day trip or a, a quick weekend trip to go vacation to within texas oh i go to like port aransas that that's a neat place down there what is that it's just where is that it, it's on the it's on the gulf coast Okay. You know, it's just just due south. Just go due south. It's just it's neat. You know, it's kind of like the old time, you know, boardwalky kind of place. The you know sh- the shoreline and yeah. big big beaches. You know, deep beaches and long. You can drive on sand and sit there. And I, I I like that place. Kim, thank you so much for for chatting oh, with me welcome. today. This has yeah. been has been awesome. Yeah. I, I could I could keep asking you questions and. Uh, I'm sure you would you would eventually just hang the phone up on me, but um, <laughs> I I really appreciate you talking with me and uh, uh, best of luck uh, when when you are elected to Congress. Um, I, I can't like wait uh, to follow. Uh, hopefully, I can I can chat with you and catch up when you're uh, actually in D.C. and uh, talk about all the stuff that you're you're taking care of and, and accomplishing in there. Awesome. We'll do that. Let's just put that on the calendar. We'll make that happen. How about that? <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Thanks, Kim. And, and again, you bet. And I'm serious. Thanks for what you do. We well, need you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. take, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.